Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So uh, today we're discussing the topic of should I change my my marketing approach, or maybe should I pivot my marketing? Maybe that's maybe that's a better way to to describe this. But um. You know, as we're recording this, it is now May 12th, and uh, we are, depending on where you live, uh, I guess maybe zero weeks um, to six or seven weeks into this mass house arrest that we are quasi-voluntarily imposing upon ourselves uh, thanks to the slow-moving horror movie that is the, the coronavirus. And as we all know, um, in, in an effort to uh, save society that we have, frankly, to some extent, we've sacrificed parts of the economy in, in order to do that. Uh, but thankfully, more and more thought is now turning to how do we, how do we then help the economy get off the floor after this throat punch that we've given it? Um, and we're thinking about that on a micro level as well. I think I think more and more people, especially by the time you you wind up listening to this, are, are going to be thinking about. Okay, you know we've done the sheltering in place. We, we've 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 flattened the curve. Um, you know it's it's time to go back to work in whatever format work looks like going forward. And and that's of course uh, like the virus itself going to be evolving and will is going to differ based on what you do for a living and 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 where you do it. Um, and I think kind of at the top of that hierarchy is is marketing and sales because in my view, and we'll see if our guest agrees, um, marketing and sales are, are going to have to change. They're going to have to change for a couple of reasons. They're going to have to change because, to some extent, ways in which we are used to marketing simply are not on the table anymore. If you're, if you're the kind of person that is used to going to a corporate function or a conference and collecting 50 business cards, then following up on them with, with, with lunches and cocktails and golf outings and baseball games and so forth. Um, you know, that, that's just not on the table. Um, uh, you just, you gotta do something else. And, you know, second, I think almost every customer is thinking about how they buy in, in a different way. Right. And, and we're going to have a later podcast going to talk about that. Yeah, and, and the working title is "Meet Your New Customer," which is your old customer, but under COVID. And um, uh, you know, this is this is an, an evolving topic. And it's going to evolve every day, and people are having to learn new ways of doing things, new 
new philosophies, new approaches. And I'm actually doing a webinar uh, tomorrow. It'll be, it will have been several weeks ago by the time you listen to this. But I'm about to do a webinar that, that talks about um, you know, restarting that marketing mojo in a COVID slash post-COVID slash COVID adaptive world. I really don't know what the vocabulary is anymore. I, 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 I give up. Um, and, and so, you know, I hope you're of like mind that you're now starting to think of the, you know, the future and how do we get this thing going again? Because you know, this, it's not, regardless of your ideology, um, it's, it's, it's inarguable that remaining dormant for years is, is economically and financially <clears throat> unsustainable. So how do we jumpstart this thing? And so uh, I've, I've invited, and I'm very grateful he has accepted a, a longtime friend of mine that, frankly, I do not talk to enough, and it's, it's my loss. Um, but his name is Brandon Lisi, who's founder of Object 9. Um, he's run and owned Object 9 for 28 years and has really paralleled the world's migration towards a digital economy, starting with more of an old-school marketing bent to then evolving along with the rest of the economy to developing and implementing expertise in the 21st century digital side. Um, his work with consumer brands, specialty manufacturers, and franchises offers insights into the many challenges and opportunities facing today's corporate leaders. In addition to Object 9, Brandon also owns a candy store located in Columbus, Georgia. And I'm going to pause there for a second. And that's really cool. Not, not only because I like candy, and I do, um, but, you know, if you listen to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that I've, I've, I've had a lot of, of friends uh, come on, longtime friends. And I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed and fortunate to have that kind of network that I have people that are interesting enough to, to interview and actually want to come on this thing. But I would say one out of three, I read the bio and I learn something that I did not know about them. Um, and that ranges from people who've written books and didn't bother to tell me. And I think one of them at, at some point was prime minister of Tasmania. Um, and, and, but there's always some sort of secret life that comes out in these things, which is, which is really cool. So maybe we'll have time to ask Brandon about that. But anyway, when Brandon is not solving some marketing problem, he can usually be found serving his community while wearing a scout leader's uniform. Uh, just like my wife, she's a troop leader. And, um, and finally, on a personal level, he's been happily married for over 23 years to a talented artist, Margaret, uh, who is lovely. I've had the privilege of meeting her. And together, they're busy raising two good sons. And um, uh, Brandon is also a, an accomplished musician in his own right. And someday when this whole thing breaks down, we got to get back together and jam again. Uh, Brandon, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me, Mike. So... Brandon, I want to I want to get a, a very banal question out of the way first because I think I think there's a lot of misconception about about the nature of of marketing, and I think in particular it frustrates marketing people um, that the question is still out there. Uh, so I think, but I think it's extremely important because I see the mistake being made all the time, and that is what is the difference between a marketing function and a sales function? Um, well, I think you know, the simplest answer is the job of marketing is to figure out what the customer wants or needs and then help that company deliver it. Sales is a way of promoting the fact that you have it, 
It's just one channel, just like social media is a channel, just like public relations or traditional ads or whatever it might be. So at a more marketing speak level, the job of the marketing team is to figure out what differentiates or adds value to the customer's lives in some meaningful and relevant way. And it's the job of the salespeople to go tell people about it. So one function, marketing, is more strategic in nature. And the other function is more tactical in nature. Now, salespeople will argue with you that what they do is very strategic. And, but the reality is their job is to communicate that value proposition through their channel. Well, it doesn't have to be an either or, right? I mean, uh, you, know, you, you can sort of have a slider, if you will, that's a combination of the two. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Most, most people, I mean, you know, marketing 101, man, is find a need and fill it. <laughs> that's yeah. it's been that way for thousands of years, and it's not going to change because of COVID-19. You know, the channels will change. The customer behavior will change. The tools will change. The talent level of the people around you, um, whether it's in-house or external, will change. But the, the simple premise that I got to figure out what people need and I got to figure out a way to get it to them is not going to change. And it's been that way for a long, long, long time. And it's going to be that way for a long, long time moving forward. The challenge, I think, for a lot of people and a lot of entrepreneurs, business leaders, or corporate leaders is people come into a job, come into a role with a set of skills. And it's very, very difficult to maintain current skills or evolve your skill sets while you're trying to do your job at the same time. And most people that are productive and successful stay quite busy doing the job for which they were hired. And the challenge is whether you're in marketing or you're in sales or public relations or advertising or accounting or whatever it might be, so the tools keep changing, the channels keep changing, the customer mindsets keep changing, and you've got to spend time thinking about all those changes and incorporating that change into your team, your team skills, your team actions, and it's just easy for people to fall behind. You saw that you know, back in 2008, 2009. You know, everybody started cutting expenses and cutting headcount just like they're doing now. Things still had to be done. You know, the, the machine keeps rolling on. Uh, if you're into digital marketing, you have to produce content and you have to distribute it and you have to manage it and you have to track it and then you have to process it. And that just gets spread out across a smaller group of people who have even less time to evolve their skill sets. So it's part of the challenge, I think, with marketing and the challenge with sales is just keeping up with that rate of change. So you referenced the 0809 re recession. That's that's a good segue because I want to talk about that, and and maybe you know if if you can remember back that far the dot com bubble of 2000, the two the two big recessions we had before this. Can you can you remember kind of how did marketing change then, and are there parallels or important contrasts between how marketing changed in the wake of those recessions? versus this one you know is this one truly as different an animal as a lot of us maybe think it is well 2000 i was still in louisiana you know i started my business in 92 we were founded in baton rouge we had a lot of industrial manufacturing clients down there and that section of the world is very much tied to the oil patch and right? so 
you know, financial uh, metrics around the dot-com didn't impact Louisiana and East Texas quite as much as they did, I think, here in Atlanta. Hmm. Living through 2008, 2009, though, the, the parallels between those two things is in both cases, I would say there was a massive acceleration into the migration of digital and the digital tools and the digital technologies and the digital channels as people were trying to figure out how to get technology to generate more leads, create more opportunities or make more connections or automate those connections with customers because they didn't have the headcount. Because in both cases, you just lost a lot of people that were doing things. And that's what's happening today. We have many clients that in the world of manufacturing or in franchising, because of kind of where we've built our client base that are using this opportunity to grow. If they cut headcount, they still have to achieve the same goals or try to achieve the same goals, which means doing the same things, if not more of the new things that need to be done. And whether it's 2000 or 2008, 2009, the same kind of dynamics have played out as the expectations have come down a little bit, but not necessarily in line with reality. And so people are just trying to figure out how to get it all done and trying to figure out how to cobble these tools together on top of everything else they're doing. You know, that's really interesting. Um, I hadn't thought of that, but I, I, but that, that observation makes a lot of sense to me that, that at least in the last recession, uh, you did see an accelerated migration of technology and you're doing it here and you may see it even more widespread because now as our, as, as our, our, our food supply chain is being impacted, right, there's going to be even more of a clamor to, to automate because machines don't get, don't get sick and they don't contaminate food. Um, but, but, you know, that, that's really interesting. And, and, and are you seeing that now too, that, that, and I guess we are, right? Work from home, maybe additional automation, but on the marketing side, are you seeing that too, where there's now another push to see what, can be automated, what can be leveraged in terms of, of marketing activities and technology? Well, in, in the core function of marketing, right? It's digital marketing, lead generation, which is you know, generally how we get hired, right? Someone says, I want to get more business and uh, I'm not happy with my sales team's results. I need to augment that. I want to feed those beasts some leads yep. and I need to figure out how to use digital technology, paid search, paid social, display, whatever it might be, to try to get more eyeballs on my brand, start more conversations. All that's been done remotely for years and continues to be done remotely. I think in the short term, you know, what some of our manufacturing clients and franchise clients are dealing with is their salespeople can't go out and do their job. I mean, I think you're dealing with this as a salesperson or business development guy, I deal with that. You can't get someone on the phone. You can't get kneecap to kneecap with people anymore. So you really are forced to use some technologies that right now, for the most part, is replacing face-to-face, which is the Zoom stuff that we're using or GoToMeeting or whatever the platform is. But the underlying marketing technologies behind paid search, paid social display, or if you're into the long-term game of SEO content marketing or whatever, that's not really changed. Um, I think where I see this particular crisis affecting the marketing piece is actually on the product development front. And people can't pivot within six weeks or whatever. But I think 
where you see innovation is in the product portfolio around touchless, right? It's not just the marketing stack that we're talking about is how do we deliver experiences where people don't necessarily have to touch physically each other or touch things. And those businesses that are so dependent upon a group experience, i.e. a restaurant or an amusement park or a live concert or a sporting event, are really struggling to figure out how to do this um, and evolve the customer experience in a way that keeps people safe. Because in the past, the crisis was financial. People were going to lose their jobs. Uh, people lost their jobs. People and they were lost wealth. It was a financial hit, right? Yep. This is a hit where they're still trying to figure out how to, you know, who's going to get sick and how, how many people are going to die. I mean, six weeks ago, I told my entrepreneur group, I'm part of the EO network, which I know you're familiar with. Yep. You know, I predicted that there would be 20 to 50,000 people dying in the next couple of months. And I missed my mark. You know, I, I predicted that, I think, on March 22nd. And I undershot that. I mean, we're, we're at 80,000 today, right? Yep. So I think the challenge for not just the marketers, but the companies that the marketers represent or work for is, how do we evolve our product mix to meet the needs of the customer? Because a lot of times marketing gets kind of pigeonholed as going back to our discussion between marketing and sales. As a marketer, my job is to figure out what we can deliver that people want. Um, and how I communicate that are the tools that everybody assumes marketing, you know, that's what marketing is. It's advertising or sales or whatever. But really, the job is, as I said, find a need and fill it. And the need now is to be able to create products and experiences where people don't have to touch stuff. <laughs> you yeah. know, so, you know, or products or services that demonstrate or deliver real value. Um, well, let's let's touch upon that too. And I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of rip up the script a little bit because I, I think that's a I think that's a really important point. Is is you know the, the, the word, the term essential business came into the lexicon six weeks ago, right? And um, I, I can only imagine if, if all of a sudden the, the, the government or, and by extension, I guess, society, I'm going to keep the ideology out of it, just said you're not, a, not an essential business, right? And we're seeing that Elon Musk is already pretty pissed off about this. He's threatened to move out of California. And as of this podcast, he's basically given the middle finger to the California government and opened his factory anyway. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but but um, the, the notion of, of what's essential, right? I, I think that's something that now requires a lot of thought. I think it requires a lot of thought, not just in, in what are you offering to the market, and, and as you're talking, as you're saying, and, and let me kind of paraphrase this back to you, you tell me if I'm crazy, but at the end of the day, you can only market well something that there's at least some fundamental demand for in the market, right? If, if nobody wants or needs it, the best marketer in the world, and I, I don't know who's in the marketing hall of fame, maybe you or I don't know, right? But even they're, they're not going to be able to do that much with it. And I was thinking about this yesterday because I'm I'm starting to write a paper on uh, on, on on working capital, and and one of the things that I I'm I'm thinking about, and I think you're seeing, is companies are also simplifying their product lines, 
you can't you can't afford to keep the marginal products going just because now you feel like that's what creates, or at least I think this way, that creates a complete product line. You, I think now in, in terms of preserving working capital, in some cases, sort of cutting off the limb in order to save the body, it's not just about staff reductions, but it's, it's also got to be about product reductions. That, that, product that, that product that generates 1% of your profit but consumes 10% of your time and working capital, that's part of the equation too, isn't it? It is. You know, I think so much of that, though, varies from company to company and culture to culture. Um, you know, in smaller companies, it's it, where there's a lot of emotional attachment to the product, for example. Yep. Uh, it's your baby. Uh, it's hard to let it go. It's, it's hard to pivot sometimes. It's hard to see the forest for the trees. Um, in a larger company, sometimes there's just momentum that you're, you're fighting. Um, and also fear. Because, and I would say that's kind of, I think the biggest driver right now that I look at and see, you know, that paralyzes people is the, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt uh, about if they make the wrong decision about pivoting. And so they just don't do anything. Yep. And so, you know, if they kill that product and then someone else becomes successful with that product line and makes them look bad, right? It's a little sort of fallacy of sunk cost, I think, plays into it. Use a gambling analogy. Um, but it really, it, it varies so much from client to client to client um, in terms of what drives that. But I would agree with you and say, you know, companies have to take a hard look at what they're manufacturing, uh, what they're, you know, and, and are they actually making stuff that people want? I used to use this analogy of kind of trying to explain differentiation. It's like, you know, you can make the best green crayons on the planet, but if everybody wants to draw fire engines, no one's going to buy your green crayon, right? It is people are need to, people want to buy what they want to buy. And in times of wealth and luxury and excess, they'll buy more things than they would when times get lean. And, you know, regardless of what's going to happen in the next, you know, year or two i think you've been around long enough to know that and lived long enough life to know that this is really unparalleled right i don't think that this is even close to being a 2008 2009 kind of thing or certainly a 2000.com kind of thing because it's hitting everything right it's not one or two sectors it's literally every aspect of your life is being changed and it's introducing not just product discussion issues, but risk discussion issues. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's World War II, the oh, Great sorry. Depression, and the Spanish flu pandemic all rolled into one nice little burrito. Yeah, and you know, the other part of it too, and I, I mean, I'm old enough to live through the early stages of AIDS, right? Because I, I graduated high school in 1984. And, you know, back then, I mean, nobody really knew what caused it, how you could get it. It had some pretty horrible ramifications. Now, it turns out being sexually transmitted or through blood transfusions, it wasn't as very virulent. But there's the, the fear that I'm going to get this thing, the fear that my children, you know, as a parent, that's my big fear. My kids are going to get this and get sick. Um, and I'm balancing that with the fear of 
okay, I have a business, I have multiple businesses to run. And, you know, what's the downside, you know, what is the risk that I want to take on? Do I want to have my businesses open and take on the risk of health? Or do I want to keep my businesses closed and take on the risk of going out of business, which means everybody's out on the street looking for a job and has no health care or whatever it might be. So, I mean, I made my decision a long time ago on all of this stuff because I'm not going to live my life in fear. But I think a lot of people are still grappling with those two very challenging things. I know we've got off on a little bit of a tangent there, Mike. Sorry about that. Well, <clears throat> look, I, I think um, – well, but, but, but I think it's relevant. It actually does segue into the next question, which is um, I think what, what I'm wondering as a business owner and as an advisor – is as I look at what's going on today, how much of this is temporary and there is a rubber banding and how much of this, whatever this is, I'm being deliberately vague, is permanent, right? And, and let's, you know, talking now back about marketing, you know, pivoting, you know, how do we, how do you tell or how do you make, you don't tell, how do you make an educated guess that you can kind of live with that, that says, okay, you know, here, here are the three things that we're probably just never going to do again. And let's, let's kind of just move forward, burn the ships and move forward. And, um, and, and here are the three things that we're really, we're just going to kind of put on ice. We're going to put in the freezer for a year or two, but it's going to come back. So, you know, we're not going to completely forget about it. We're just going to move it in the background because we don't need it right now. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I think the, the uncertainty timeline is going to be tied to when can I go in and get a shot or take a pill and take away the, the, the threat of death, right? When does the fear go away? Right. The, the thing that I, I've, I've always been a student of history. Um, had I, you know, made a different choice in my life, I probably would have been a history professor. I and mean, I still read a lot of history. One of the, you know, one of the truths about all of this stuff that WLA talks about is that the threat has always been there. This isn't a new threat. In fact, millions and millions and millions of people are still dealing with the threat of malaria and cholera and dysentery and dengue fever and all of these other diseases. We've just been, you know, this sort of this intellectually safe, financially safe healthcare bubble in the U S for a long time, thinking that we were invulnerable to all of this stuff. And, you know, mother nature reminded us that we're not. So, you know, I, from the very beginning of all of this stuff, I should say the first week as I thought through this, you know, I, I always believed that if I lived hundreds of years ago, I would have been on one of the, I would have been one of those guys on one of those ships that would have been sailing to try to find the new world. And that had a hell of a lot more risk associated with it than this. And I think, you know, what people are going to realize in the next, and people are already doing this. Um, people are, have made the decision that they're going to agree with the Aristotelian philosophy that luck is when the arrow hits the guy next to you and that they're all immortal and they're going to go out and they're going to live their life and that they're not going to get sick and they're going to take their chances. And that's not driven it, for some people it's going to be driven by some political ideology. But I think for most people, it just comes to a rational fundamental decision that is like, I, I got to go live my life. I got to provide for my family. Just like every other generation of humanity's had to do going back to cavemen. 
right? It wasn't a rational decision to go out with a spear and try to kill something. <laughs> it was a risk. So we're still doing that. I think in the short term, people are going to, who are afraid, going back to the fear issue, I think they're going to stay away. They're going to make different decisions. I think the people who've lost their jobs, 30 million people, isn't that what it is right now? That's a massive chunk. It's 10% of the population of the U.S. just lost their jobs. And that, right. you know, and that and 20% percent of the working population. Loving all the kids in, right? <clears throat> yeah, well, and so. How many more are not productive right now? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so, but and, going back to trying to answer your question about the timeline and, and what is, what's going to be put on the shelves. I think eventually people are going to want to get back together again and do things together because we're social animals. We always have been. And, you know, we're eventually going to feel more comfortable over time. There's a lot of fear that's being, you know, pushed out through the channels that people watch. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation being pushed out through the channels that people read. And uh, which is also an interesting marketing case study in its own right. Yep. Um, and eventually people are going to have to make a decision based on what's right for them. And I think people are going to go back to restaurants. And I think people are going to go back to rock concerts. And I think people are going to go back and do the things that they always used to do. But I don't think personally it's going to happen for the next couple of years to a regular degree uh, until there's a magic pill. Because that's kind of how Americans operate. At least I can't speak for the rest of the world. Yeah. Americans so it, magic pill. So it, so it sounds to you like, you know, you, you t- it sounds like that you're in the camp that, you know, we've got what we've got now, but this notion that we're kind of never going back to that doesn't sound like it's something you agree with. So, you know, don't, don't completely cut off those marketing tools because at some point you are going to want to go back into the, into the attic, open up the chest, dust them off, and then you're going to come out again. Yeah, I, I do. I think, you know, companies are going to want to go back to, you know, want to present their products in the most efficient way for some of those people are going to be to go to trade shops, present their products to buyers. Um, I, I think people are going to want to go back and live their life to a certain degree the way they've always lived their life because it was a pretty good life. Um, and if you believe the math, which, you know, math is all over the place, but it's, you know, somewhere around the neighborhood of 97%, Maybe 95, maybe 98.3, I don't know. But, you know, the vast majority of people are not going to be substantially impacted by this if you believe the models. Right. Uh, the reality is, going back to your comment about flattening the curve, is for a percentage of people that are going to be susceptible to this, and it's going to be a bell curve within that group of people who go from being really sick to dying. Now, <clears throat> let, let's say that that, and I imagine you probably have clients that are facing this. If if you have a have historically had success with a high physical touch marketing approach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe it's been through conferences and trade shows. Maybe it's been product through something. Some, what's product, this? Product sampling. With product sampling, right? A lot of food and beverage in my day, right? Yeah, yeah. and and now that's off the table. Yep. What What are you telling your clients about? about transitioning what are you telling your clients to do now well so most of the clients that we work with right now are manufacturing companies many of whom sell you know some sell direct b2b others go through distribution outlets or retail outlets and whatnot yep 
So, because you can't go to a trade show, yep. uh, you have resources, you have budget, you have allocations, you know, you can go online where people are, go find the eyeballs where they are and start driving more traffic to your website and investing more in a digital strategy. And that's not just because we do digital marketing. That's where the eyeballs are, yep. that's where the customers are today. And that's you know, one of the things I would always, I, you know, always advise clients is, you know, want to spend the money where it makes the most sense. So for clients, the, the challenge when clients need to touch it or feel it, right? Some, some equipment companies, you know, one of these guys are engineers they, or construction people. They want to feel it. They want to touch it. Um, you know, right now, all you can do is create virtual experiences. And that's not always going to be as easy. Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't begin to build a pipeline and start working towards that. And that's what a number of our clients have been doing is using this time to build the pipeline and establish relationships with people. You may not be able to close everybody, but you can build the relationships, generate the leads, so to speak. The pipeline might be a little bit longer, but you could sure as heck make the top of the funnel fat right now, especially if you do some digital marketing, because there are a lot of people out there trying to figure things out. We have one client whose primary value proposition right now is that they could save you money on IT maintenance. Every company out there that's got a massive IT spend is looking to save money. So the value proposition of that particular company is excellent right now. You know, we have another client that sells so much, it is very dependent, historically dependent upon their retail distribution outlets. They're using this opportunity to pivot more to a direct-to-consumer strategy. And one of the things that they've balanced in a lot, I see this a lot, um, especially with manufacturers that sell through retailers, they're afraid, or distributors, they're afraid of upsetting that revenue cart and angering the money, and they don't want to put their revenue at risk. But now, because that revenue has been inherently put at risk because people aren't going into those retail stores, it's given them an opportunity to go direct. And, and they're not a client, but there's been an interesting development recently. I don't know if you pay attention to the movie industry, but some of the movies have been able to go direct to consumer now in terms of launching their movies through uh, pay services. I saw that. And a AMC in particular was really not happy about that. They, they right. went out of their way to attack one of the, the movie studios. Right. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the movie studio or I'm this person that manufactures, you know, uh, a, a product. It's like, well, you can't sell this for me. I've got to take care of my core business. There are people out there that want my product. They're not going to find it through you. So I got to go find another way, right? Find a need and fill it. Right. And I can't fill it that same way. I got to fill it a different way. And it's going to, that's going to disrupt a lot of industries, I think. Uh, the unsettling of established traditional distribution channels, uh, retail, uh, and some of those experiential channels are going to take a big hit. And I'm not going to say I'm predicting this exactly this way, but you know, I, while I like going to a movie theater and seeing certain movies, there's only a handful of movies that I really go, oh, I'm glad I went to the theater and saw that. There's a whole bunch of other movies out there that I'm perfectly happy to sit at home in my lovely home theater right? yep. and watch it and pause it when I need to pause it or whatever I need to do. 
Uh, and I can see five years from now, you know, movie theaters being a little bit like the record stores of you know, late 80s and early 90s. One of those things that are just sort of a relic of a bygone day. It'd be sad for somebody who enjoys going to a movie occasionally. But for a movie theater to be, or a movie company to be able to bypass that middleman and save all that money and go direct to consumers and market directly to the consumer and hit all those desktops and devices or sell through Netflix or HBO or whatever it might be, probably a heck of a lot more profitable. And so, I, you know, I think for a lot of customers right now in our space, both, well, let's just stick with manufacturing, how to go directly to their customers and evaluating the middleman is a big discussion point. And I see that happening, not just, you know, in our business, but other businesses where, People are beginning to question the middlemen because in the margins they take, do they really add value? Um, We're talking with Brandon Lisi of, uh, of Object 9 about uh, changing marketing in a COVID environment. Um, we've only got time for a few more questions. Um, so I want to pick the ones that I think are our highest value at this point. And one I want to I want to throw out there is that the the I think there's a temptation on the part of many companies to pare back their marketing strategies because there's a sense, well, nobody's buying, so why should we bother selling? Um, can you make an argument that this is a, a, a time that you could actually go, you could kind of go against the grain or go against the trend and maybe spend more on marketing while your customer, while your competitors are retrenching and maybe strengthen your brand, relatively speaking, and gain some market share? What, what, do, you, what do you think about that, that thought process? I think you could spend more or you could just spend differently. It's yeah. not a, a binary choice. Um, go back to what I said earlier about building the pipeline. You know, you can, you may not always be able to close every deal, but you could set yourself up so that when the economy does start moving again and people start making decisions, you're in the catbird seat, so to speak, in terms of being the one with the relationship with the people who are ready to spend. So, for those companies that really haven't figured out how to do digital, instead of spending the money on some of the traditional venues, i.e. trade shows or whatever it might be that aren't going to really bear fruit right now, reallocating that same amount of money towards building out the digital stack that you need, or maybe, you know, adjusting the staffing resources and skill sets that you have, or the mix of internal and external resources. Uh, the answer might not be you need to spend more money, Though that certainly could be the case, but you certainly certainly should be spending your money differently, um, and you know that's where I think a lot of people struggle because they may not always know how to make those decisions, and that's where people like us come into play. Now, uh, you know, social media obviously by necessity or by necessity slash default is is uh, now dominating a lot of the marketing landscape necessarily um you know there was there were a set of best practices that were widely accepted and followed say prior to february 15th um in your mind have have any of those best practices changed or evolved now in the covid world is social marketing is the best way to use it and leverage it any different now than it was well you know if you're one of the things i've seen which is you know, I feel like it's just, maybe it's just me. It's, it's, it's getting a little overdone is the whole communicate with empathy 
<laughs> yeah. strategy. Um, you know, so many people are focusing this message around compassion and empathy and, and whatnot that they're not even communicating their value proposition, why should people should care and buy. So, you know, one, one thing I would say is if you are engaged in social media, don't forget the, the, the reason that you're doing it, if you're doing it for marketing purposes, is to drive traffic to your website, <laughs> you know, right. to engage people. So give them something to engage with and have a call to action, not just tell them that you can sympathize with the fact that they're stuck at home taking care of their kids. Uh, so that's one best practice, you know, that I would say people need to get back to because I see a lot of marketing material that has, you know, I, I will not work, man. It, it just, it's like, there's no way that this is actually going to be effective, but it might people, it might be making people feel good uh, to, to put those messages out. I think one thing that I would also say about social media the best practice that I want everybody to take from all of this is if you can't answer the question of who is on the other end of the communication, very, very specifically, then you need to stop spending money on your social media. In fact, really on all your marketing and really figure out who your primary and secondary customers are. All the marketing, going back to finding a need and filling it, is understanding who that customer is. And I see way too many people, especially in the franchising space, throwing away money, trying to attract franchisees and prospects and customers without really even understanding who the primary audiences are. And the more niche your business is in terms of B2B or whatever, the more specific and more targeted you need to be. So again, the answer, going back to your comment about should you be spending more, you should be spending more wisely and maybe you need to be spending differently, but absolutely you need to be doing it in a more targeted way. Brandon, we're, we're running out of time, but I'm sure there are other there are folks that are listening that, that had a question that we weren't able to get to today. Um, uh, assuming you're willing to make yourself available, how can people contact you if they want to ask you a question directly? Uh, they can always reach me through LinkedIn. Um, I, uh, Name is spelled B-R-A-N-D-E-N-L-I-S-I. That's a good way to get me. You can get me via email at brandon at object9.com, or you can go to object9.com and reach me that way. We have contact form. Those are three really good ways to get a hold of me. All right. Well, thanks so much for the uh, for, for the conversation. I think there's a lot of, uh, of information our, our listeners are going to find helpful. Um, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Brandon Lisi of Object 9 so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Warren Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.